If you're new with us, we are working our way through the Gospel of Luke. Welcome in on this study as we uh, turn our attention to Luke chapter 8 today. Let's pray and ask for the Lord to do for us what we're going to look at, and that is to give us a good heart, uh, the right kind of heart to hear His Word and bear fruit. Father, we thank You for another occasion we have. We don't take it for granted to hear Your Word together as a community of faith. And my prayer is what we just sung, that Christ would be magnified, that we say together, show us Christ and change us. Give us the right kind of heart we need to respond appropriately to your word so that we may bear fruit to your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I know you are aware of this, that there are many times in life in which it's very important that you listen carefully to something. Back when I was about, I think I was in sixth grade, I had bought a used motorcycle for $75, and uh, I was attempting to go down the hill to go to the pool hall. And I'd never driven it down the hill yet, and my dad told me to go down in first gear, and I thought that was a mistake. And I thought neutral is what you should go down the hill on, and I didn't listen to him, and it only had a front brake. Uh, and it did not end well. Uh, I, I should have listened to my dad. Sometimes we're too stubborn to listen. It really matters when the doctor gives you, uh, you know, medication or, or prescribes some action that you listen to the doctor and do what he or she says. It's important if you're going into a military battle that you hear your commander's orders carefully. Probably the most common example of not listening is when someone tells you their name. Maybe this has already happened to you this morning. That you meet each other, they share their name, you give your name, and in about two minutes you're like, what is this person's name? Uh, it, it happens all the time. And then it gets really awkward when you've seen this person for months and months and months. Uh, and you interact with them, and you, you still don't know their name. And it's probably most awkward when you're at a prayer meeting, and you're asked to pray for that person. And uh, you, you, even though you've been in the same group together for months, you, you don't actually know their name. And so I want to recommend on this particular point, which is not really related to the sermon all that much, um, that you start giving your name to people uh, when, you, when you first meet them. And that way we can all be saved, you know, of any kind of embarrassment, and it's just a get-out-of-jail-free kind of thing. Uh, it really matters how you listen to certain things. But nothing is more important than how you listen to the Word of God. Jesus says in this text, that your eternal life depends on how you hear the Word of God. Everything in discipleship depends on how we hear it, that we hear it rightly and respond rightly to it. That's why Jesus says, take care how you listen. Be careful how you hear. He gives this, this opening parable, the parable of the four soils, followed by a little short mini parable, and then he get, there's a story that I think Luke inserts in this portion of Luke's gospel because it's the same theme, the story about Jesus' family, that his family are those who hear God's word and do it. So listening is not a passive manner, and it's not a matter of minor importance. It's, it's absolutely critical that we get what Jesus is saying. Now just a word or two about parables. You might call this parable the mother of all parables. Because not only is it long, and not only does it come early in the gospel, but Jesus, in this particular parable, interprets the parable for us, and he tells us why he spoke in parables. And so there are about 60 parables in the gospels. Uh, the word parable means to throw alongside. And Jesus would use very common things to illustrate uh, spiritual truths with parables. 
And this would have been one that everybody in the, in the audience would have understood, a, a farmer. And he tells us in verse 11 that the seed stands for the word of God. So he interprets the parable for, for us. But prior to that, in verses, uh, verse 10, uh, he tells us that parables kind of have a, a dual function. That they're able to instruct those who are inside the kingdom. You see that when he says, uh, now to you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. And it's not a secret like some strange Da Vinci Code book or, uh, you know, one of the lost gospels. That, that, that's, that's those who know the secrets. The secret is actually, uh, uh, it's been revealed. It, it's, it's about the Messiah. And, and those, to whom, those who understood who the Messiah was, who were following Jesus, they've been given the secrets of the kingdom. But to those who are outside the kingdom, he quotes Isaiah and, and says that they, uh, th these parables are used in order to unsettle them. They can't understand them and causes them to want to know more. It, it shows us that we need the Holy Spirit to break through our hearts to understand the light of the gospel and respond to it. And so as one writer put it, parables reveal truth to those who believe the mysterious and parables conceal truth from those who are denying the obvious. And that is sort of this double function that Jesus mentions here. So this one today is all about being careful about how we hear. Everything depends on it. So let's look at it in these three parts. First of all, hear and bear fruit. Secondly, hear and shine the light. And thirdly, hear and obey. Hear and bear fruit. Verse 4, it says the crowd's gathering around. They're coming from town to town, pressing in upon Jesus. And it's like Jesus uses every occasion to be a teaching moment. And he's got this crowd that's all gathered around him. And because he's got a great big crowd, this parable is very fitting because everybody in the crowd meets, they're in one of these conditions. They're one of these kinds of hearts. He goes on to tell us about four kinds of hearts, right? And this parable begins to evaluate us. You know, often you may think that you come to evaluate the Bible or that evaluate the sermon. This is a parable that evaluates us in that it tells us, all of us, what kind of heart we have. It tells us our, our heart condition. And so he, he opens up by just telling the story, something that they would have all uh, known about, you know, a sower going out to sow seed, and it falls on these different places. The first one goes on the path, and the problem with that is it can't get any roots, and furthermore, he says, a bird devours it. And then the second kind of, of heart, verse 6, it, it's thrown on the rock, and also you don't have enough moisture, you don't have enough uh, soil for it to grow, and because, uh, it, it, because of that, it withers away. Verse 7, it's, it's thrown on a place that has a lot of thorns. And if you garden at all, you know that can be a real problem, that the weeds can grow up as fast as your plants and, and your vegetables. And so these thorns choke out uh, the, the plant. But then some fell on good soil, and it yielded a crop so large, everyone in the audience would have said, no way. A hundredfold. He is saying a miracle has happened. And the gospel, when it is sown on the right kind of heart, does something that we cannot do in our human strength. It, it has a hundredfold yield. Now, the other gospel writers, Matthew and Mark, Matthew 13, Mark 4, they speak of the same parable um, that there's a 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold yield. Luke just includes the big hundred, right? 
But that's the idea, that the sower goes out and does all of these things. And then Jesus begins to interpret the parable for us, beginning in verse uh, 12. And we'll look at these four kinds of hearts briefly. First of all, he mentions a hard and indifferent heart. When he says, the ones along the path are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. So, you know, you, you wouldn't try to plant something on a, on a sidewalk. And Jesus says, the problem with this particular kind of person is that the, the, the gospel doesn't, it doesn't go deep in them. And it just ricochets off of it. And a person could have this kind of hard and different heart to the gospel for many reasons. Like maybe suffering has led them to, to grow bitter towards God. Or maybe when they hear the Bible, they, they know they're not willing to give up certain sins. So they, they don't listen. Or maybe they just have a cold unbelief. And it looks different for different people in this category, but they may simply find the Bible uninteresting. Like that's not a trait of a Christian. Like we're not bored with the Bible, but if you're in this condition, you may find anything more entertaining and more interesting than the Bible. Or maybe you, you find the Bible archaic and irrelevant. That there's no way we can believe this stuff, a dead man coming to life. A, a worldwide flood, right? Parting the sea, come on. That's implausible. Those were primitive, gullible people who just believed everything. How do we respond to all of these objections? Well, we need to present sound arguments, but ultimately the problem was in their heart. And that was, in a, that was our problem before the Lord changed our hearts, right? But there's something more. Notice in this, on this one on the path, this individual has someone against them, the devil, the devil, he says, takes away the word like an angry bird, taking away the seed. And notice when he does this, it's like immediately. When the word is preached or they hear a, the, uh, something in a Bible study or wherever it is and however they hear it, we're, we're, we're being taught here that listening to God's word involves spiritual warfare. Like there's more going on than we didn't get enough sleep or many other things that could hinder the way we listen, even though those are real things too. But that there's also the devil. <laughs> like, don't forget the devil when you come to church. Pray that the Lord would, would keep you focused and give you a good heart so that this word is not taken away. Satan hates that you're here. He hates that you're here in the Bible. He hates it when you're in a Bible study. He hates it when you're reading a good Christian book. It's spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. Why does he do this? Notice the so that. So that they may not believe and be saved. And this shows us in a negative way the purpose of hearing the Bible, doesn't it? That we may believe and be saved. The devil doesn't want you to hear, believe, and be saved. And so, you know, hear and believe and obey. And don't, don't be taken captive by this evil one. The devil operates in a number of ways. We all know this. He can do a number of different things, but one of the primary things he wants to do is keep God's word from taking root in our hearts. Okay? So that's the first kind of heart. The second kind of heart is a shallow and superficial heart. This is the one, he says, the seed that's thrown on the rock, but it, it has no roots. And then he interprets it by saying, they are those who first hear the word with joy, but because they have no root, they believe for a while but in the time of testing, they fall away. This is, Jesus is such a remarkable teacher. 
And everybody there would have understood the farming context, as I mentioned. And this was a real problem in, in, in places in Israel. There are a lot of rocks in Israel. Um, and, and sometimes not deep enough soil for stuff to grow. And so he says, that's like the person who hears the gospel and there's some initial excitement. And then you look back two years later and they're nowhere to be found. And Jesus says, beware of that. What initially looked like faith proved to be no faith at all. Maybe this is the student who goes away to youth camp and gets all fired up for Jesus and gets the t-shirt and, and, and does all the stuff and then goes away to college and beyond and they've checked out entirely on the faith. Initially, there was joy and excitement. Or this may be the person that responded with joy and excitement and then a tragedy struck or a trial, relational conflict struck. And because they don't have any roots, they don't bear fruit. They, they were there for a while, but the, you see, the real test is testing. <laughs> That's when our faith really shows as to whether or not it's superficial faith or whether it's a persevering faith. At some point, if you are responding to the wrong thing, like if you're responding uh, to the wrong thing about Christianity, it, it, the shine will wear off. Like sometimes people come into new churches and they get all excited and, and then they realize this church is not perfect. Let me, let me just tell you up front if that's you. We got a lot of flaws, okay? But the shine of Jesus never goes away for a genuine believer, right? He's always shining. But if you're responding to the wrong thing, or you, what I mean is you're getting caught up into the emotion of something but missing Jesus and, and, and not truly placing faith in him and loving him and adoring him, then what happens when you hit the trial? All that emotion is now gone. And that which you, you were putting your faith in, it was the wrong thing, right? And so Jesus tells us this because he loves us. It tells us this because he doesn't want us to have a superficial faith, a shallow faith, but a persevering faith. Now the third type we'll label as a preoccupied and distracted heart. And I think this is a real challenge in our context. Jesus says, this is the one that the seed is, is cast among thorns. And he says, the problem here is that some hear it and they're choked by one of three things or all the above, cares, riches, and pleasures. And consequently, they do not mature. So there are three thorns, if you will, three weeds. First being cares. Notice that what can rob the words of its effectiveness is not always bad things or persecution against us. It can be concerns, great anxiety. It can be riches, which can be a really good thing when used properly. But when we're preoccupied with riches or preoccupied with pleasures, comforts, then the word will not have its same impact, cares. What this means is your business, the leaky shower you need to fix, the house you need to clean, the assignments you have to turn in next week or should have been turned in already, the taxes that you forgot to do or, or chose not to do, all of your kid activities, and that, those evil things called emails. Those things, things that we have to tend to, can make us so distracted 
and so preoccupied that the word is not having that kind of impact in our life, positive impact in our lives. Which means that we, it's not that we neglect to do these things. We have to do these things. But that may the Lord give us a quiet heart, even if we have a busy life. May he give us quiet time with him. May we seek to have that time. Unhurried and unhindered time with God. That it's that we prioritize his word, right? So sometimes it's, it's cares or riches, he says. Again, nothing wrong with getting a new house, nothing wrong with getting a new car, having a big house. You can do a lot of big ministry with a, in a big house. But it's that when you get so preoccupied with these things that the word gets choked out or these pleasures. Many things fall in this category, a vacation, remodeling your home. These can be wonderful things. I'm all for vacation. And if you want to remodel your home, go for it. But it's, it's when these things just absorb us. Good things that are placed at a level they should not be placed on. And notice the gradualness of the thorn here. It's not that the thorn chokes it out immediately. It's not the one that, that where the seed is thrown on the path and the devil takes it immediately. This is a slower process. Over time, when you're not dwelling on the word regularly and other desires like your job, money, things of this world begin to consume you. There's no word going on in your heart. Jesus says, beware. Be careful how you listen. Now the fourth type of heart is the heart we all pray we have. A good and fruitful heart. And he says of this one, as of the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold fast to it in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So when the seed is sown on good soil, something amazing happens. It yields a harvest. This heart is not hardened by sin. It's not shallow. It withstands the trials of life. This heart is not so preoccupied with cares and comforts. Notice how Jesus speaks of it. This heart holds on to the, to the word. This heart is honest. This heart is good. And it's patient. Holding on to it means that we read it, we hear it, we believe it, we follow it, we hold on to it. Then he says it's honest. That is, you approach the Bible with a desire to learn. Honest before it, confessing sin and repenting when necessary. It's good. It's been made good by God's grace. And it bears fruit with patience. It perseveres in trial and temptation. Now, Matthew and Mark, they, they, they talk about bearing fruit in this fourth category. But Luke adds this little nuance. Bearing fruit with patience. Emphasizing the, the persevering nature of real faith. Can you, will you continue following Jesus and his word when life gets hard? When trials crush you? When you're grieving? When you see things in culture you don't like? This is why Paul commended the Thessalonians. Listen to what he says in 1 Thessalonians 1.6. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. And then he adds, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You received the word, and you were going through a trial, but you received it with joy, even though you had a trial. Because our joy is not rooted in our circumstances. It's rooted in Christ, right? And you can receive the word, even in affliction, and love it. Rejoice in it. Be thankful for it. 
This is what we pray for. I was talking last week at breakfast to David Helm. He's a pastor in Chicago. He wrote the foreword to my church planting book. And we just sort of ran into each other at breakfast, so we decided to sit together. And uh, I tried to buy his breakfast, but he wouldn't let me, um, which, which I regret, but he insisted. Uh, at any rate, uh, because it was 50 bucks, the breakfast. Um, uh, I, anyway, I digress. I'm uh, still thinking about how I didn't buy his breakfast. But um, um, he, he was telling me the story. They're ministering at the University of Chicago. And he says, we're doing this thing, Tony, it's so innovative. It's called Dinner and Bible. <laughs> And he said, um, we've got these round tables and we just go put a bunch of Bibles on a round table and then we feed these students from University of Chicago. And um, we have a table host and they guide them through the passage. And he said, students are coming in droves. He said, some of the brightest students in America, but they know nothing about the Bible, but they're eager to learn. And maybe that's you, that's, that's where you start. Get in a place where you can hear it and pray for the Lord to give you the right kind of heart, that you may bear fruit as a result, that you may yield this great harvest. So may God make us good hearers of his word, good listeners of his word. And let's also note here, before we move to the next little parable, the, the importance of sowing this seed, right? We want to sow the gospel seed far and wide in every nook and cranny of the world, knowing that sometimes it will land on the right kind of heart and it'll bear fruit. And sometimes we're surprised at who it bears fruit in, right? So trust in the gospel. Nothing wrong with the seed. The seed's powerful. The seed can do something that nothing else can because the gospel is still the power of God into salvation. And as we cast it, we cast it prayerfully. Lord, let it fall in a good heart. Now, briefly, meet the next two little pastors. Here in Shine the Light, Jesus goes to this other little parable, and, he, and you're familiar with it probably from the kid's song, This Little Light of Mine, right? I'm going to let it shine. And that is, that is actually a bold manifesto for, for you to do that sort of thing. He says, no one lights a lamp, a little oil lamp probably in Jesus' day, covers it with a jar or a bushel, or puts it under his bed. You don't put your light under your bed, kids, unless you're doing something wrong. We know, okay? Same for you adults and me. Um, I'm an adult. Um, we, we, we don't hide it. That's not the purpose. That's his point. This is not the purpose of a lamp. So you use things with their intended purpose in mind. We're not going to go cook lunch, a great lunch, and then just dump it in the trash. Right? We, we, um, we, we don't uh, what, buy a car but never drive it. So I guess some people do. That's a posh lifestyle. But... Or some of you, you're not supposed to get an exercise bike and use it to collect your dirty laundry. Uh, a lamp is to go in the dark place, and he says, so that people may enter in. Uh, that is, enter into the kingdom by how we, because we have shined our light. And Jesus is speaking to those who are the insiders, those who know the secrets of the kingdom, his disciples. And he says, you have been given this light. You understand the gospel. And take this light and let it shine. Let it shine with your words, with your attitudes, with your actions. That's why we read Philippians chapter 2 in, in the corporate reading. Donnie picked that text uh, quite well. I hadn't even thought about it in my sermon prep until he told me the corporate reading uh, this morning, where Paul says, do all things without grumbling and complaining so that you may sh shine like a light in this crooked and twisted generation. Now, here's a novel idea. One of the ways we bear witness to Jesus Christ is by going into the world and not complaining all the time and not arguing all the time. And of course, we shine this light by preaching the gospel, shining it, 
And this leads Jesus, it goes to a, a connected thought about light to verse 17, that one day all that is hidden will be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. This adds weight to us shining our light. One day, all of us will stand before our Christ. And we want our friends, neighbors, employers, work, uh, people that we work with, etc., to know Christ because they too will stand before this Christ. And, and nothing now that is hidden will, will not uh, be forever hidden. It will all come out to a full view. And so we live in light of that reality, don't we? Jesus rounds off the paragraph by telling us of the dominant theme of the whole section here. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not even what he thinks he has will be taken away. That is, those who listen to the word carefully and bear fruit, they're going to continue to learn and grow and enjoy God's word. Those, those who reject it, the person who doesn't have the right kind of heart, will lose even which they think they understand. It's kind of the, the adage of the rich get richer and the poor poor, only this is not about wealth, but about understanding the gospel and loving the Savior to whom the whole Bible points. Right? Well, so we hear and bear fruit. We hear and shine the light. And finally, we hear and obey God's word. This is an interesting scene as Jesus' mother and his brothers come to him, and they can't reach him because of the crowd. And so someone uh, says to him, your mother and brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. And I was just imagining a kid today hearing this, saying, I'm going to use this trick. Mom wants to see me because you're in trouble. Uh, my, my mother and brothers, don't, don't do this, kids, are those who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus can get away with this. Um, and Jesus is making a really good point here. Who is it that belongs to Jesus' family? It's not a matter of kinship, which his family, many of them turned out to be spiritual family members as well, but about obedience to God's word. This is who makes up the family. That's the major point. Now, a minor point, I think, here is just learning from Jesus that sometimes the claims of family have to be set aside for the higher calling of doing the Father's will. And that may mean moving away from your house, you know, as a young adult to go pursue some career or mission or something like that. Jesus loved and honored his family, but this priority was doing the Father's will. But the major point here is that those who belong to the family of God have the family resemblance. And it's not uh, biological resemblance, it's spiritual resemblance. It's through a relationship with Jesus Christ that we put his word on display. We hear his word and do it. So saving faith involves more than just intellectual assent to truth. Saving faith leads to obedience. Not perfection, but obedience. Not perfection, but bearing fruit with patience. And it's those people that make up the family of God. And this family's big. This family's diverse. This family's global. This family we will all be part of in a new creation. Jesus says, that's my mother and my brothers. To be able to call each other uh, brother and sister this morning is a miracle. Now, I know we use it sometimes because we forget each other's name. But if we can call each other brother and sister, Jesus says, that's my family. Jesus let us be in his family. Let us be in his family. <laughs> I don't know if you have a sibling that you're actually proud of or not. 
but um, I, I am a, my sister, I only have one sibling, and she does home health, and she has cared for some really difficult patients. Uh, I mean physical, physically difficult, and I, don't, I suppose the other way too, but um, I love just to say, this, this is my sister. She does great work. She taught me how to dress when I was young. She, she forced me to shave. I was the first kid in, in class to shave, you know? And Jesus says, this is my brother, my sister. I'm not ashamed to call them brother and sister. Jesus loves us. We're his family. The word of God has gone into our hearts, and it's, it's, it's borne fruit in our lives. And now we get to share in this family. So maybe this morning, if we want to get under this word for just two minutes here, is the word of God impressing on you that you need to do something? This text is saying, do it. Like, do you need to forgive someone? Do you need to apologize to someone? Do you need to give a gift to someone? Do you need to bear witness to someone? Is God's word impressing on you some action to take? Then let's do it with gladness. Let's do it cheerfully. And if you're not a Christian, this invitation to be part of God's family, it's for you. It's not restricted to your background. The word goes out. And have you, even today, you sense the gospel impacting you. Maybe you want to talk to someone about that. We would love to bring you into this family. Ultimately, Jesus says, what matters is how you hear. Hearing his word, how you hear it, really matters. And ultimately, this good heart is a worshiping heart, isn't it? It's a heart that listens and worships while it listens. It, for me as a preacher, it's a worshiping heart from which I preach. I want to adore the Savior to whom the whole Bible points. That this one who was crucified for us is revealed in Holy Scripture, who went down into the ground like a seed, rose from the dead as the first fruits of all creation. This, this whole Bible points to this Jesus, and the good heart adores Jesus. The, the good heart says as well, Jesus, we long for the day when our faith will end in sight. We, we see him now in the scriptures. We see though through a, a glass darkly, Paul says. One day we will see him in all of his glory. One writer in talking about the return of Christ said this, then the light of Christ will be in our hearts and we will no longer need the scriptures. One treasures a love letter while the beloved is absent. But once he or she is present, the letter is laid aside in exchange for personal contact. Isn't that amazing? This Bible is leading us to Jesus. And one day we will see him. We'll have personal contact with him. This Bible is a holy love letter about our Savior. And those with a good and honest heart, they love him. Though we have not seen him, Peter says, you love him and are filled with joy that's inexpressible. And if you're not a Christian, we invite you to that Savior, and he will have you. If he'll have us, he'll have you. <laughs> Look at who he's made, his brothers and sisters. We'd love to talk to you about that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this holy love letter that shows us our Savior. And Lord Jesus, we bless you. We glorify your name today. We think upon what you have done for us as we now take the Lord's Supper. 
having heard the gospel, we now get to see the gospel in this, this great ordinance. And so even right now, I pray that you would find among us a worshiping people, adoring you for all that you are and all that you have done. In your good name we pray, amen.